Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Ovum, our platform where we share journeys of various African women all around the world. Today, I am super excited. I have with me Ratizom Tangadura, a young woman, a final year medical student at the University of Malawi. So uh, that's like the perfect representation of an African woman. I mean, she's Zimbabwean, she's in Malawi. She's also the founder and chairperson of Chengetai, a nonprofit organization that deals with teaching women how to deal with sanitary wear. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Ovum. Hi, Ratsi, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, and I'm like so, so excited to have you here today. Not only because, I mean, you're African, you're a woman, but you're young and you've done so much at such a young age. Like, it's amazing. I've <laughs> you tried might not feel to. that way, but trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, Rati, everyone's curious. Tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? How old are you? Like, we want to know who is Ratsi. Okay, so I am Zimbabwean, as you said, born and raised in Harare. I'm 23. And as you mentioned before, I'm a final year medical student. And yeah, that's pretty much who I am. I love what I'm doing with my life currently. Um, I love what I'm doing with Chengetai and the team is absolutely incredible. And I think our goal is really just to make a difference where we can. And I think that's the purpose I have decided to give to my life that no matter what I'm doing, let it be for a good reason and to benefit not only the next person, but the next person after that. And yeah, that's basically what life is about. That's amazing. And I, I feel like whenever I speak to doctors, I'm like, you guys are literally in the profession where every day when you get up, you're going to be making a difference. So I think you're on the right path with Chengetai. I think you're the, <laughs> on the right path with your career choice. <laughs> Thank you. So, I mean, it's amazing. Like, literally, tell us a bit. Why Malawi? Like, there are so many medical schools. Why Malawi? That's a random question. I'm just going to throw it out there. She like, she's Zimbabwean. She's in Malawi. What brought you there? So my sister was here in second, right up until her yeah, second year was when um, I found out that there's a pre-medical sciences program. And she was like, oh, there's pre-med here. And she said, you wanted to do medicine? I was like, yeah, yeah, I really, really do. So I came here with my parents and we saw like what the school was like and everything. And I really liked it. And my parents were like, yeah, but you just finished your early levels, about to start AS. Well, a bit way through AS, like maybe a term into AS. And... Are you sure? Is this your decision? Like, are you 200%? I was like, I'm 200%. And they were like, okay, then go for it. So after my O levels, I came here and it was such a good opportunity because I mean, it was, I really felt like at that point in my life, I was looking for the next thing. And mm -hmm. my parents have always been so encouraging. And so they were like, go for it um, and see what it's like. And there was no pressure attached to any of it. It was purely me just going with the flow um so i applied and got a place and then came here oh wow that's amazing so you basically started straight out of before you even got to like a levels yes when you were 17 yeah i came wow. here when i was 17 <laughs> didn't you feel like you were missing out on anything i know a lot of people like when when i was in high school we saw people leaving for university before we'd finished our a levels and i was like what are they going to do without their A-levels? <laughs> In retrospect, I'm like, we, we don't even use this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that definitely was the question, you know, especially when, like, we're talking to family that, okay, I'm going to university. They're like, oh, my goodness, you, you've literally turned 17, like, three seconds ago. Like, you're so young. <laughs> 
And I did think about, you know, I'm missing out on the experiences. Like, there's a lot of growth that happens in those last two years of high school. And Mm -hmm. I thought about that. But I don't know, something drove me. And I was just like, no, but if this is what you want to do, you're going to find a way to get over that. And you're also, it's not like you're not going to meet new people where you're going, (laughs) you know? And that's when I was like, yeah, let me go for it. I mean, I definitely missed out on things like the dances and the dinners that happened. And I'll just hear about it. My friends would be like, oh my goodness, this happened. And I'd be like, I wish I was there. But, you know, (laughs) I really like what I'm studying. Even right from day one, I always say to my mom, this is, this, I don't know, this biology you know medicine is so interesting and it was always like walking into class is always so exciting like what we're going to learn today you know and it sounds crazy but literally that's what I'm always thinking like incredible how is it even possible that's amazing and it sounds like you knew exactly what you wanted to do and I admire that because very few people even at like 18 even when I went to university I don't think I completely understood what it was I wanted to do very few people completely know what it is they want to do with themselves others find themselves halfway through the journey and they're like okay I want to do something else now so I think it's amazing so tell us how was it like moving from home to university at such a young age um I think well firstly um, I was a day scholar at home so my Mm -hmm. sisters were both boarders and I was so I was like literally you know like only child like literally the whole time so I had an attachment to home, but I was also a boarder earlier on in high school for one and two. So I was like, okay, you know, we can do this. And initially it was all right. It went well. And then things kind of went square at some point. And right at the beginning of my pre-med year, which, yeah, I was like 17, as I said, um, you know, I was always someone who had a very rigid schedule. And because I used to swim and I swam for the country for about eight years from age nine to 17. And that required really scheduling my time because as much as I swam, my parents were like, you're not going to swim and not put 100% into school. So it was like a go, 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 go. It was this after this after this. Otherwise, I knew it's get good grades or stop swimming. And I wasn't about to stop swimming. So it was put in 200%. And with my parents, it wasn't so much of just about the grade, but it was the effort into mm-hmm. what you were doing. And that was always it. If you put in 100%, you get 100% out. And I didn't realize that that level of, I can say order or regimen was, it's it's all right. It's good. But too much good is bad. And that's what I kind of fell into mm-hmm. because I came into this environment where university is, you know, you do exactly what you want and no one is even going to ask you a question. And exactly. <laughs> so the structure wasn't there. And I had, you know, a structure laid out for myself. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to do that. And I had a goal in my mind, you know, I'm going to lose a little bit of weight, etc. And, you know, it was like, I think it was only like five kgs that I wanted to lose. And it spiraled completely out of control. I think I lost 15 kgs in six weeks. And I got home after the first half of the semester. And literally, my mom, she looked like she saw a ghost. I just lost so much weight. And it was, I didn't realize I lost that much weight. I knew I was weak. Mm -hmm. I knew I was feeble. I knew that I wasn't feeling like myself. And I was never a skinny girl by any chance. I was always, you know, quite a strong girl. Which I think that's what shocked my parents the most. And acknowledging that now 
I had changed environments, which is definitely the trigger. I mean, it could be anybody going anywhere that can go through this. A drastic change or a drastic event in one's life can really trigger things that we may not expect, you know. And I realized that that was a problem. And only after realizing, after like th- that two months, that that was a problem, that I lost so much weight and I couldn't even physically pick myself up to walk. That's when I was like, this is a problem. That was the beginning of a nightmare, essentially, a five-year-long nightmare. And I just, I didn't know that it was coming at at that rate, at that pace. And I was just, I was shocked, to be honest. And from that, for realizing, looking at my parents' reaction and my sister's reaction, who I was here with, led into a very, very deep depression. Everything was dark. It was confusing. It was... Wow. mm, it It was a lot to take on board. And... It was a constant cycle and it was now a combination of not only this eating problem that may have stemmed earlier on and from the swimming and having a very strict diet. And by no means was that diet enforced in any way upon me. It was a decision that I made to eat more health. What what you put into your body, you get out in sport. And I didn't realize that I had taken that to the next level, which is why it said too much good can be bad. And this eating disorder and that I could not name and then this issue of it was a constant cycle of eat you know go to class sleep cry that was a daily thing for a good two or three years then and then it was just it was just a lot to take on board and it was all perpetuated by the environment there's this mentality in Africa I don't know about anywhere else in the world but I've only lived in Zimbabwe and Malawi and people are very happy to comment on your weight and walk in and be like, oh, you've gained weight or oh, you've lost weight. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be like, oh, what's simple? It's kind of Exactly. And I'm like, oh, excuse me? <laughs> you know? And it's like, Africans, Wasimba is not a greeting. <laughs> like, mm, it's not, it's not, like, no. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, that was a lot because, you know, people are commenting, it's so bad to lose to lose this much weight and people are scared to look at you. And then you gain a little bit of weight. Ah, and they were saying, but, you know, it would be better. You know, we liked you better when you'd lost weight. And it's like, so many people have so many opinions. And in my mind, every comment, I was like a sponge. I just took it on board. And it, literally a comment of you've gained weight would leave me in bed for 12 hours easy. Like, it wasn't even a question. And oh wow, it was really, really dark. And it was it was something that I had no control of for the longest time. That's deep. And I mean, when I first heard it, I was like, 15 kgs in six weeks. She needs to tell me what she did. I'm trying to lose 10. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm like, this literally six weeks is not a joke. Mm-hmm. You losing that kind of weight in six weeks is, it's like... Literally, your body was under a lot of stress because that's not healthy. And I'm sure, let's back it up a bit. Tell me, like, I'm curious, when did it really start? Like, what really triggered it? Because I'm sure there are people there. We've met people, we have friends maybe who've struggled with different eating disorders. But everyone wonders, when does it start? Like, for you, when would you say this really started? I could say... Having a controlled diet, a very controlled mm-hmm. diet, started when I was young, maybe mm-hmm. 13, 14, because I was swimming and we had a few talks here and there about 
what one should eat, shouldn't eat, what's good for your mm-hmm. body, what's good to feel your body. So from there, I kind of knew what I was putting in my body. And I was like, okay, this is for this time of the day. This is for this time of the day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then mm-hmm. that was along with a very intense sport for maybe five hours of training a day. So the volumes were very high. Although they were the good nutrients, they were very high calorie uh, meals. And in my mind, it was, okay, I'm not playing as much sport, so I definitely need to reduce the number of calories I'm eating, which to some degree is how it works, but not really. Mm -hmm. You're still thinking, you're still breathing, you're still studying, you're still doing all these other things. And so you still require the energy, but I didn't quite click. So I could say when that control came like out of hand, it was when I was 17. It was definitely the stopping swimming, the stopping living at home. Yeah. And change of environment. Everything was new. I no longer had the fridge in the house that mama went to mm. buy food. You know, it was now my job. And that was it. It was just one day you're living at home and everything is, you know, fairly easy because your parents are there. And then the next day you're doing it all by yourself. So now you're trying to create a structure, but the balance wasn't quite there. True. And I guess at home, like what you're saying at home, to some extent, we don't necessarily have to think about controlling our diets. Our mothers do it for us. The meals are there. People eat at a certain time. So at the end of the day, whether you're hungry or not, you end up eating with everyone else. Exactly. Anyway. Exactly. But now, literally, this was now up to you to decide what time do you want to eat? What is it you want to eat? And the control was now on you. So tell me a bit, like literally, because obviously, like you said, it wasn't just about the routine and the whole you having control. There was also the aspect of how what people said triggered you. So tell me a bit about that side and the impact it had on your mental health. I mean, it was... As I said, you know, African people are so comfortable to say exactly what they think. If they have oxygen in their lungs, they're going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was exactly that. Like there was a drastic weight loss. And then people commented, ooh, ooh, you've lost so much weight. And then I gained back a bit of weight. And the next person you've gained weight, I preferred you when you were slimmer. And my, like, lack of experience with that, I was like, okay, then I must lose this weight again. You know, so that led to fluctuations. Mm -hmm. And to a certain degree, it led to a cycle of binging and purging and all these inexplicable measures to lose the weight. There's so much power in words. And people don't realize Yeah. And... I've made the conscious effort to not comment on anybody's weight because of that impact it can have. And that would trigger not only a day of tears, uh, a day of tears, maybe a few weeks of insecurity um, and a lot of hurt and psychological and emotional instability that I don't think I had for about three years because anything Mm -hmm. that anybody said could completely flip a switch. Wow. That's deep. And I mean, I can't even imagine like literally what you were going through as well as having to study, live far away from home. So how like generally during that time, how did your behavior change? And did people notice besides obviously people noticing your weight change? Did someone notice something was wrong? I I think my my immediate family would have noticed something was wrong. Like my mom definitely noticed like that. I was always I've always been loud, bubbly and you know, just that character that is, I'm always talking, period, mm-hmm. you know. And my mom was like, you've changed. Like, a lot of your behaviors have changed. And it's heartbreaking to see. 
I think outwardly, I was also in a new environment, so no one really knew me. So no one knew what changes to expect. So people just thought I was a quiet person who didn't talk to people and, you know, just did my own thing, not realizing I'm quite eccentric. And only now are those colors, true colors, starting to um, come out. But I think in that respect, I did pull back a lot from my usual mm-hmm. personality but no one was there to see because no one knew me before kind of thing oh wow and you said this was a five-year-long struggle yeah that it, is just amazing that you had to carry that for so long yeah no it was it was really difficult it was a lot to take on board um but i, I mm-hmm. can definitely say there are certain things that really allowed me to have those moments of, okay, I'm going to be okay. Even if after that period of a few days, things did go downhill completely. I had that few days of, okay, I'm going to be okay. Um, and that those are the moments like I really enjoy going to church. And it's as like in those two hours, I just standing in the church, every, everything is just removed. All the weights of everything was just removed from my shoulders. And I needed that. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And another thing that I said was school. I loved what I'm studying. And I always said it to my mom and I continue to say it. Honestly, the only way I got through that was because I absolutely love where I'm studying and we have amazing lecturers who pay attention to what you want to do and listen. And so I think that was my saving. Those two things were definitely my saving grace and my support system. Like I have an incredible family. My mom and my sisters are amazing. My dad definitely took, it took a lot more for him to um, understand that this is an actual problem but he's definitely on board mm-hmm. and he's definitely supportive but i think also there's also and there are a number of things that play into taking a while to get on board but he definitely made the effort to try to understand where i was coming from and i think that's how i got through it celebrating the little achievements it was never about you know complete recovery in three days it was oh i had a meal for the first time i didn't have dinner with my family for three years and it was the anxiety wow. associated and surrounded by eating in front of anybody, um, drinking anything in front of anybody. It was just a lot. And it took a while for them to understand that I need, I, I personally decided to take a step back and be like, right, I'm not exposing myself to this. I, I, I need to recover from this eating disorder. And I need not be at home being forced to cook and being exposed to all these smells. I need to gently get back into it. Um, gently get back into having a bar of chocolate, for example, um, which may mm-hmm. seem to the next person like, okay, why was she refusing chocolate? <laughs> like, how? And, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and those are the little things that, you know, I can't say I did by myself, but I definitely have a very supportive family and a few friends who knew along the way, which it would have been difficult for them to understand, but they did try. And that's all that matters Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. People probably right now are wondering, because obviously I know a bit of background. When you say it was an eating disorder, can you explain the gravity? Like, I know at some point you were like, I had pasta for the first time in X amount of years. (laughs) So what were you eating? Or what were you not eating? How many meals were you eating? Basically, can you explain the gravity of just how bad it was? I had the same thing every day for three years. Literally, a quarter chicken and a salad. For lunch and for dinner. And I wouldn't have breakfast. I've never been a breakfast person. So that wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, who lives on two quarter chickens a day and doesn't have juice in the middle, doesn't have coffee with sugar and milk and et cetera, and 
No snacks. No snacks. Oh wow. Yeah. So that is, that is like yeah, that's 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 just amazing. Like I'm like I don't want to use the word crazy, but like someone would be like, "Oh my god." Yes. Girl, you were having half a chicken and a and a salad. Literally. And mm. that was on a good day. And when I wow. turned around and realized that, I was just like, this is not good enough. And obviously, I did my research and mm-hmm. the consequences. I think that's one thing I definitely read about. The consequences of not having a proper diet. You know, you are putting yourself at risk of like osteoporosis, which like literally your bones literally hollow out over time. I had stopped mm-hmm. my period. And eventually, some people, it renders them infertile. And yeah. when you look at the long term, when I looked at it, I was like, this is, this is ridiculousness. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And that was the pivotal thing for me. That was at the beginning of my third year. And, you know, I was just like, I can't do this. And I have no plans to do this. Like, I, I don't think I want to live with these consequences. And that's when the gravity of it all fell on me. And I was like, I'm not doing this. And it was, it was such a, I can call it an epiphany. because. I had not only missed out on having a good diet, but I missed out on going out for meals with friends and family on, to be honest, eating Mm -hmm. cake. And I can safely say I've had a piece of cake every day for the past two weeks. And I missed out on that for two years. (laughs) (laughs) You're like making up now. Yes. I'm like, I'm just like, you know what? It is what it is. And if anybody wants to comment on the weight, you know what? Let you, me, and my fat cells go out and have some wine and gain more weight because I have no plans of changing the progress I've made. I have no plans of allowing anybody to have this impact on me and the progress I've made because of a number on a scale. It doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't make sense to anybody. That's true. That is so true. And I mean, just generally, I'm like, to be honest, I know I know there's someone sitting right now who's like, I don't get it. Like, because like a lot of people suffer in Africa, that is, suffer from the reverse, which mm. is um, overeating. So someone's sitting there and they're like, wow, I don't get it. Like, how do you get there? And I'm like, no, that's just literally the opposite of whatever it is most people are experiencing. But I'm curious, like after you had that epi- epiphany moment, oh, that word, <laughs> what did you do to get the help you needed to get you on track? So I think the first thing that I did, I was admitted. And it was like mm-hmm. an aha, it was a light bulb. But now I had to backtrack and go through every moment and be like, okay, this is damaging. And I called my mom and I had a conversation. She literally was, oh, thank you for realizing this. Oh, thank you. It was time, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> and When you say you were admitted, can you describe that a bit? Like... Did you get sick? Did you go and decide, okay, I'm going to go to a facility and get help? Oh, no, I meant admit it, like to confess it to myself. (laughs) Yeah. um, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I see what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and then I saw a a psychologist at our college, and that was so good. We get to see a psychologist Mm -hmm. for free. And I was just like, this is... And at this point, you know, we don't really talk about psychologists in Africa. We don't do that. Like, it's not an African thing. It's a Western thing. Yeah. And it's like slowly now, like, people are becoming more aware. But generally, mm. like, there was always the stigma. 
like as if you're supposed to go see your tete for everything and it's like literally no. and unfortunately some tetes might be psychologists but i don't think most are psychologists yeah most are <laughs> you're like no we need more support yeah so that's <laughs> professional good. support exactly we need that sometimes and having an outlet and i went to see the psychologist mm-hmm. in school and i think i saw him for about two years and that was really it was i could say i needed it in the moment to talk about everything, reflect, and kind of dig deep into the cause of the issues at hand. And mm-hmm. that helped. And then when he said, you know, when you feel like you're done with this, you let me know. And I did. I was like, I feel like I'm really all right. And I took a step back and I needed to take a step back. And that's when everything started, you know, coming into play nicely. And obviously spoke to my my mom about it. And she spoke to the psychologist a little bit. I think my dad spoke on one or two conversations. Obviously, in another country, so it was more like a conference call situation going on. My sister came. Mm-hmm. And I started taking small steps into, like you mentioned, the pasta. Like, I started eating smaller, like, like small things of other things, like having a few bites of a chocolate bar. And as I said, it's the little steps. And I yeah. I can definitely attest to that. It is the little steps. And I was so happy. Last year, I had a bowl of pasta with a friend. And I literally told my mom, I was like, I had a bowl of pasta. And she was like, literally, I, if I could see her, she'd be jumping on the roof, literally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and to anybody else, that might seem like, okay. And then he had a bowl of pasta. Congratulations. But to mm. me, it was, I not only had a bowl of pasta, I had a bowl of pasta with a friend and we laughed about it and I didn't think about it. Only a few days later, I was like, oh, that actually happened. So it was the lack of thought behind it that mattered. And I've had many bowls of pasta since. <laughs> and That's true. <laughs> and it's really... I can imagine because I feel like... Um, I associate a lot of memories with food. Yeah. And, you know, generally African culture, we even have a saying in Zimbabwe that says, Ukamai gasha, kujka, or something like that. Exactly. So I'm like, literally, food and fun and experiences are all usually all wrapped up in one little like place. So yeah. um, I can imagine how this whole experience, your entire journey affected the quality of your life and possibly even some relationships. Yeah, it definitely did. I could say I learned which, in terms of friends, I learned which mm-hmm. friends I still wanted around and which ones I didn't. In terms mm-hmm. of family, I definitely knew which family members made an effort to understand and which family members didn't want anything to do with it. And to me, that was like, oh, well, thank you. Because now yes, I exactly. know <laughs> that, you know, y- 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 people manage to put themselves in places in your life and you should take that with open arms because that's all you can mm-hmm. do. That Now you know when you're in a good place, that is your support system. Some people are just around when things are good and... But when things are bad, they'll manipulate the situation and you don't need that in your life. And that's definitely something I drew from that. It definitely affected some of my relationships, but it also highlighted the strength in some of my relationships. And some of my friends are only finding out now and they're like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, well, you're like 7,000 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> That's true. And I'm always like, it's not, it's not exactly like 
a badge of honor at the time. Yeah, exactly. So, literally, it's not always easy to share your struggle with everyone. It's sometimes it's easier to say it once it's passed. Mm. And that's okay. It's got nothing to do with the friendship. It's more just, you know, it's a journey I had to go through. Mm. There were certain people around and obviously they were part of the journey. Mm. And it is what it is. Definitely. And as friends, at the end of the day, whether or not you were there at the time, you can be there now. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think from my experience, really, all I can, I, I love to say this is, you know, we go through these things. I'm not the first person mm. to have gone through depression or an eating disorder or anxiety attacks or any of those things. I'm not the first and I won't be the last. But then something we need to think about as people is we cannot allow these things to define us. You simply can't. You have to go through the process, feel it. It will happen. Allow yeah. it to, you know, come out at the other end stronger. And, you know, there's a saying, I might mix it up a little bit, but it talks about a problem. And the problem isn't just a 100% problem. It's 10% problem and 90% how you respond. And you have a decision to make. Are you going to make it a positive experience and a positive outcomes? And be like, I did X, Y, Z wrong. And I went through this, etc. But I also learned that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. I'm a lot stronger than... Now, no, to be honest, when you're in such a situation and your internal dialogue is monologue, <laughs> is not mm-hmm. um, positive. And then now when you come out and your internal monologue is positive, any the, any conversation that's going on around you that's negative, you're less willing to take on board because you're like, I hurt myself for so long. No one has the right to hurt me. And that's true. it brings on an incredible amount of strength and resilience because once you, you know, fight your own demons, as to say, mm-hmm. no one else's is more powerful. And once you fought your own, you know just how strong you are. That's amazing. And I mean, we all have our own demons to fight. And I even said that to you. I was like, literally, when someone looks at you, they don't realize just what you've gone through. Mm. They're like, oh, she's so perfect. Look at her. She's so pretty. Living her perfect little life. Getting her goals done. Oh, she started her foundation. Look at her. And then you're like, no. There's a backstory <laughs> you don't to realize. Work. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know the battles she's fighting behind closed doors. Definitely. Behind all our makeup and so on. Yeah. And people need to realize that people need to be more. I think people need to be careful about their words. Because mm-hmm. as I'm always reading these sayings, I don't know where they pop up or how they pop up, but they help me. And they're like, you're not sure what the next person is going through. Don't be so quick to comment. Don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to have an opinion. Because as you said, you know, my problems are not the same as. A billionaire's problems, but that doesn't reduce the significance of the billionaire's problems. They're still problems. They're just as important and need to be dealt with just as delicately. And I feel like people tend to compare issues and think, oh, no, no, that one has less problems than me. So that one has more problems than me. So. <laughs> that's true. And you're like, oh, I don't think that's correct. Yeah, definitely. But I'm curious, did you ever at some point, or even now, sometimes I guess when you're looking back and reflecting, do you ever think that if you were in a different environment or cultural setting, you would have um, dealt with this better or received better support? I think I would have 
had a greater variety of professional help. And probably mm-hmm. may, maybe you, I would have sought support sooner. I think just because, as we said, in a Western setting, these things are more out there and more spoken about. Mm-hmm. So it's less of a taboo. So maybe I would have sought professional help a lot sooner and had other channels to like channel myself. But other channels to get it out and talk about yeah. it more. And more people would have put themselves on a platform to say it. So it would have been okay. So in that respect, I think that would have could have happened. But I'm also not a hundred percent sure because I've also evolved a lot over the past five years. The question is, would I have been as open to discussing it from my perspective? That's something I've asked mm-hmm. myself. Um, so I think it could have gone either way, to be completely honest. But I definitely think that for um, for anybody who is in an African setting, I love Malawi, I love Zimbabwe, but definitely we don't have open channels of communication pertaining these things. And we need them. And... We need to, and not only for women, for men too, you know, things like suicide are a lot higher in men. It's not because they're so happy and they don't talk about their problems. It's because they don't have the channels to talk about them. Mm -hmm. So I think in that respect, maybe another setting would have provided more channels for help a lot sooner. Um, But I'm not quite sure. That's profound. I mean, that's pretty deep. Obviously, in the interest of helping someone who might be sitting out there wondering, okay, what should I do? Do you have any resources, tips that you could share with someone who is basically on a similar path to the one you've been on? Yeah. Oh, goodness. I could go on for like 16 years, but I won't do that. <laughs> um, I think the yeah. first thing I would say to someone who is going through a similar thing is you're not alone. You're not weak. You're not a problem. You don't have a huge issue that cannot be fixed. You're going through something that a lot of people go through and they just don't talk about it. But it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And seek help. It's important to acknowledge that, okay, this is the situation at hand. Go to a psychologist, go to a psychiatrist. And fortunately, universities nowadays and even high schools, because this is not only something that you go through when you're late teens. Some people, even as young as 9, 10, are depressed or have eating issues. And use those resources that, for the most part, are free of charge in educational institutions. And for people who don't have access to those educational institution structures, there are support groups all over. I was actually um, looking into Zim, and there's a friendship bench which I had heard about a few times. We did psychiatry as a rotation in fourth year. And, you know, it's a concept that is very good. And you get a support. We talk to people. And Lancet, I know, also provides psychiatric support, psychological support, and which I think is incredible. Um, And also finding your own channels. Make it your journey. It's not you have a choice whether it's going to be negative or not, you know. And open up to it and accept it and fix it because you can you have the power to and that's my general advice that's deep and i mean it's very good advice i think it's very very solid ah thank you you know it's just we need to break this stigma and open up the conversation to realizing that just because definitely yeah just because i my foot is not amputated it doesn't mean there aren't scars there 
They're internal. Mm-hmm. Just because you can't see them, it doesn't mean they're not significant. They're significant. My significance to this is that it's positive. And the next person should do that too. And just, I'm just curious, what are some of your self-care tips? Now that you've been through what you've been through, what are some of your coping mechanisms, self-care tips on how to keep... Because obviously you had to keep everything going. You've had to continue with your education, show up every day for class, despite everything that was going on with you. Definitely my self-care tips. Uh, okay, some of them are not too healthy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely still go running two or three times a week, but mm-hmm. I also have decided if I don't feel like it, I don't feel like it. Because if I were to force myself, especially where I am right now, so like only a year and a bit after, you know, pulling myself out, going too much into the structure would lead me downhill again. So definitely continuing the exercise, continuing to eat healthy. But if I need cake, I need cake. We can't do much about it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely something that I know from a perspective, it would be like, how could she be encouraging eating so much sugar? But everyone's journey is different. And everyone's self-care is different. And mm-hmm. definitely having a positive environment. If something doesn't feel right about certain people around you, you don't need it there. You don't need those people there because you're already trying to recover from something. It's not your job now to try to be patching up something else on the side. You, Yes, you need the support. You need the friendship. But you don't need the distraction because right now your goal is to fix you. Definitely. And get to that point where you're like, right, okay, now I can take on external forces. But if you're soon into your recovery, you don't need certain things. You don't need certain reactions. You don't need all of that. So withdraw yourself from negative situations. And don't try to be a saint about it because it won't work. You're not quite sure about the intentions of the people around you sometimes. And that's something that I found difficult to um, maneuver because I always want to think people have positive intentions, but that's not always the case. And that's okay that that's not the case. So definitely exercise, eat well, have a slice of cake if you need to, um, keep positive company. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you need, I don't know, something outside your schedule, do it enjoy it and come back and sit down and do your work that's amazing and and you're right especially on the positive company because i'm like yeah the people you hang around tend to have a huge influence on how you view yourself and how you speak or think about yourself so Mm. i'm like that's definitely a big big one okay so anyway on a lighter note let's bring it back a bit tell us a bit about your non-profit organization because i mean i've been looking at them for a while you've had this going on for a while a long while now but i'm like tell us a bit more it's a great organization so yes organization is called chingetai and we teach young women how to make reusable energy wear and it's something that started with a group of friends it started off very much like, okay, we're just going to try and help. And, you know, it was, yes, we had long-term plans, but in the same breath, you also like, let's not, you know, bite off more than we can chew. We'll just do what we can and work hard at it with our hearts. And that was the goal. And, you know, love everybody while we're doing it. And then it kind of kept growing. And we're like, okay, it's growing. (laughs) We didn't quite expect (laughs) that amount of growth in such a short period of time. And which was so good to be received by the community. 
and the support. Like we wouldn't be where we are without people at home and the donations, the time. Like it's incredible how people come together for a cause. I just looked at the people around me on the first event and I was just like, wow, this is why things work in life. Because people come together, put their heads together and make things work. And then obviously COVID came about. So we started venturing more into destigmatization of menstruation and talking more openly. And sometimes saying the word period can really, you know, get people to like turn around and be like, oh, she said the word. But <laughs> <laughs> the P word. The, like, P, oh, word. Yeah, the P word. <laughs> Literally. That's a response you get sometimes when you're like, really? This purely anatomical and biological process that takes place in every woman that you walk past? Like, how can we be looking at it like this? And we have two guys on our team, Tanashi and Kutzai. And I think for for us to have them on our team, I mean, for them, it takes a lot of strength because, I mean, in the environment where, yeah, you know, we only talk about menstruation, for them to be like, no, I want to learn and I want to do this, which is, I commend them. I commend them, period. No question mm-hmm. asked. And so we've gone more into that and having the dialogue with men. And that's something we want to focus on in the next year, the next Shingetai year, which starts in April. And definitely building our structures is what's been important and diversifying our product. That's something that we really want to do because we don't, we can say people don't have sanitary wave, people don't have electricity, they don't have water, they won't have all kinds of resources that would aid in comfortably using sanitary wear. So we want to provide a variety of solutions for women and that will allow them to be comfortable, go to school, get educated, and just in general be part of the society. Because, I mean, on our About Us document, you know, we see, we, we stated a few facts and it's crazy that we were saying something like almost 60% of women in Zimbabwe miss school a year. And those are, those are only the recorded circumstances. I'm not even talking wow. about recent, recent data. This is data from like 2011. And if we talk about recent data and what's been happening in Zimbabwe, oh, easily 80 to 90% of Zimbabwean women can't um, afford sanitary wear. And then further calculations, we saw that you could miss three months of school. So what happens if you miss three months of school and your fellow male counterpart is um, at school for the full nine months, of course you're not going to get as good grades, not because you're not as smart as him, but because you just didn't go to school. And those are the issues we need to reflect on. It's not just a period. It is the comfort, the lack of education, lack of ability to work, so many other things that we may not discuss, but definitely it's a ripple effect, a negative ripple effect. And we were trying, we're trying to have a positive one and change the dialogue. Um, behind menstruation and normalize it because it is normal it's been happening since the beginning of time and that's something we really emphasize on and we have our team is incredible and there's so much creativity going on to try and you know not only supplement what we do with the reusable sanitary way but reach different populations because it's right from the top like of the people with really high incomes with people with really low incomes because it's an everybody problem it doesn't it doesn't Mm -hmm. discriminate based on financial status and that's something we've learned by discussing with people you might think oh because this person not quite that's not the situation they may have the paths but the level of discomfort they may have they may not have a mom they may be living at home with a father and if that dad doesn't know there's a lot of issues that revolve around that and we need to discuss it right from the top to the bottom from young to old different races it's something to discuss
That's profound. And I mean, even the way you've described it at the end of the day, I know you said this to me earlier that men hold the positions of um, policy making because obviously we have more men in positions of power. So educating them obviously is, has to be a strong agenda if we are to push people into a position of advocacy for women's menstrual health policies and other types of support that the government or other institutions can bring. But anyway, I'm curious. So where have you guys been operating primarily? So we, oh goodness, that's difficult. So we're all in different countries. Some are in Zim, Malawi, yeah. the UK, South Africa. At one point, one of our members was in Malaysia. But our outreaches are in Zimbabwe. And we've been to Rua. We were at St. Vincent two years ago. We were in Ipwith. Uh, we were in Westgate recently, and then we did another uh, 200 pad project where we assisted in providing pads for girls in um, Blue Air. So we really do work based on the people. Firstly, if they call us, we're open to going. But we definitely mm-hmm. have our set um, locations that we did um, before all of this. People always ask, did you get approval from the ministry? Yes, we got approval from the Ministry of Women's Affairs. And we're in constant contact with them to see if they have updates about locations that we should go to. And they do tell us, okay, you should go to this area. You should go to this area. And that's really something that when COVID is over, we want to go to those target areas. Um, Because we need to get in touch with the big numbers and everything. But definitely the online platforms have really become big in terms of we have a YouTube channel with YouTube tutorial. Um, teaching the woman how to make the pads. So if we can't go to a place, we let the woman know that there is this channel with the instructions. And if you have questions, come back to us. And we've had three discussions in 2020 like that. And we have yielded positive results. People send pictures of their pads and we're able to correct them online. So it takes a few days in that way, but it's better than nothing. Um, That's true. And fortunately, people are willing to work with us and try and get the resources on their end. And then we d- we obviously don't need people in dust. Um, when they have learned how to make them, we do let them know. We did tell them that when COVID is over, we want to come and not only teach, you know, the old woman who understands, because not everybody understands English, but have a face-to-face and actually discuss the issue because that is a big part of our outreaches we sit there and we discuss being a woman and what it's like in the society what are what are the benefits what are the challenges because only then can you open up a dialogue you can't walk up to someone and be like right we're here to make pads why are you here to make pads you don't know the people you're talking to you need to understand and people think it's a one-way transaction of chinga time members telling we learn so much i've learned so much from these ladies And every time, I'm sure my family just thinks I talk too much. But I'm like, I met this woman and she told me this (laughs) and this and that. Because I get so much from these experiences. And we talk about on the way back. And I was talking to the members when we were there in January. We were like, I think we gained more from this than they did from us. And that is what community is. That's what we strive for. That's amazing. And I mean, it's it's beautiful. I've seen some of the work you guys have done and I'm like, it's impactful. You're educating people. And I mean, educating is the most powerful thing you can do for people. Because a lot of the times I know I used to, I'm not saying I used to, I'm the co-founder of what we call holding hands. But I would say one thing we used to do, we once gave people pads um, 
the disposable ones. But it was more profound when you give people reusable ones, which is something we did. But when I saw Chengetai and the work you guys were doing, we were, you were actually teaching women how to make them themselves. I'm like, this is, this is bigger. You're like teaching people how to fish. So you teach one woman, she teaches another woman. We're basically fighting the menstrual health problem. Mm. And like you said earlier, a lot of women can't go to school so they miss out on their education because they don't have sanitary wear. And then at the end of the day, they perform uh, lower. They have lower grades. They don't perform as well. And at the end of the day, we continue with the cycle of women not becoming successful, women not being in positions of power. Mm. All because of one little problem, one little root cause that we could have addressed at an earlier stage. That's so true. I applaud and commend the work you guys are doing. So um, anyway, I guess... As we wrap up, the last question I have for you is how can people get in touch with you? Um, okay, if you want to get in touch with me personally, uh, I'm on literally every social media platform. Um, Ratizo mm-hmm. Mutangadura and on Instagram at Rati Mutang and then Chengetai, which is more important. Um, yes. <laughs> Instagram is Chengetai27, Chengetai27 official and um, Twitter Chengetai 27 and Facebook Chengetai. YouTube is Chengetai as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and if they if they want to contact us anyway, our our phone numbers are on the pages, or you can send direct messages and you can talk to us through that. And we actually also have an ambassador program where we allow people to come onto a WhatsApp group where they get to have first-hand access to our Motivation Monday, Top Tips Tuesday, Fantastic Female Friday, which are weekly. And then also Mm -hmm. some small activities that we have. Um, We have International Women's Day. I don't want to preempt us, but we're having a pretty good conversation on the ambassador group. Um, So people should join, be an ambassador. Let's discuss more of these. Let's have an impact. Let's put our heads together and... Let's try to help change the world. That's amazing. And then the last question, how can people support you? Because obviously that's one of the big things you need. Besides being an ambassador, what kind of support can you guys, can people give to Chengetai? Okay, so actually one of the biggest um, things that we, one of yeah, the biggest things that we have, we've had really, really good sponsors over the past year. On our instagram page you can get onto our our about us document our bank details are all there and people do deposit money into our bank account and send us a proof of payment and then we put it there and we definitely will mention these people in our report because it means so much to us and if people are part of an organization we had slay by fair recently sponsoring um the outreach that we just had at westgate and we actually have some of the materials left so organizations are sponsoring they're like okay i want to sponsor 200 people and we're like okay great so you this means you'll sponsor the next four um outreaches if we have 50 people or whatever the case is and also reposting a simple repost does a lot and i've realized that people sharing us up on social media that's how we got in touch with slay by Faye. that's how we got um incorporate zim has also played a good role in getting us out there and people reaching out so anything you can do and it's not we're not asking for 200 dollars um, it costs roughly a dollar twenty to dollar forty. Obviously, with the fluctuating rates in Zimbabwe, a dollar twenty to a dollar forty to help a girl make 
a pad with three inners. So if you donate three dollars, you've left a goal with two pads. So no amount is too little. That's amazing. You've heard that from her, guys. So get in touch, make your donation. And Rati, thank you so much for coming on to the album and for sharing your journey with us. I know for a fact there are a lot of inspired women and even men who've listened, who are listening to this right now. And they're going to be so inspired. So let's go out there, follow Chengetai, get in touch with Rati, find out how you can support their organization. And from me here, this is Karen signing out here on The Ovum. Thank you all for your time and see you all next time.